I will uh, confess this morning, this is one of those uh, passages where it is sometimes, I think, harder as a preacher to decide what you want to preach uh, because there is so much going on. And so I'm going to do my best to uh, stick to my sermon and not preach uh, one of the 10 other sermons that I want to preach on this passage. So let's go ahead and jump in. We are in John chapter 4. And it is the, uh, the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman. And uh, so we will uh, read down through verse 18. There is actually uh, this week a very large uh, section of scripture all the way to verse 42. We will not read all of that today, uh, but we're going to look at verse eight, down to verse 18 first, and then we'll uh, kind of skip around a little bit. So if you want to turn your Bibles, John chapter 4, verse 1. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well it was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone in town, into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a, me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would not ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep, so how are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us a well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from, the, from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water, springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, her, the woman said, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her. Come and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you have five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So this story is one that kind of captures our imagination. And it's one that I think a lot of us know pretty well. And part of what I want you to see this morning is there's a tie in this passage from what we saw last week with Nicodemus in chapter three, and then moving into this story into chapter four. There's some comparisons here that we can see that Nicodemus was a man. The Samaritan woman was a woman. Nicodemus, we know his name. The Samaritan woman, we don't know her name. Nicodemus was a Jew. The Samaritan woman was a Samaritan. They were stature in their community from Nicodemus where she had no stature. Nicodemus comes at night. She comes at noon. Uh, there's this, this idea in John that we're going to see as we work through his gospel that darkness, we see kind of a lack of faith, whereas in light, we see uh, we see faith. And so there's even in this story and in these two stories, Nicodemus walks away kind of confused. We don't really know what happens. Whereas the lady, the woman at the well walks away as we'll see in the story and tells people the encounter that she has had. 
Uh, he leaves confused. She bears witness. And so we go through all these, and we can kind of walk through all of these comparisons. But this morning, what I, what I want to kind of walk through with you is, is some of the pieces of this story and, and, and the incredible power of this story. One of the things that, that I want you to see first off is, is before the Reformation, so before 1500, if we go back and look at the stories and how people talked about this story, they usually refer to her as a witness. And then somewhere after the Reformation, the focus was, was put on her and her five husbands, the man she was living with. And there was, you can even look in some commentaries around there where they say that she was a prostitute. Okay, none of that's there. We, 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 don't, we don't know, we don't know the story of the five husbands. We don't, we don't know any of those pieces. But I think what we can say is, is she was probably not very good at relationships. Okay, I think, I think that's a fair statement. We, we don't know the story. We don't know if her husbands died. We don't know, we, we, we don't know. But she was a broken woman, a hurting woman. And she has this encounter with, with Christ. Uh, and she, she, has that, um, she has that come together. So look at verse, uh, look at verse 27. Uh, we, we write down to verse 18. The disciples come back. It says, just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? This is a little piece of the story that we're gonna come back to, but I want you to kind of see it because it's an incredible piece. If we go back through the Old Testament, one of the things that we see is, is that when we talk about the well, there was, the re, there was a reason, men, you went to the well. You went to the well to meet ladies. That's why you went. So we can go back into Genesis. And if you remember back in Genesis 24, uh, there uh, Isaac... Uh, Abraham sends a servant to the well. She gets to the well. She has all these, all this stuff, all these animals with her. And she, she says to someone, she says, you know, would you help and, and help me water these camels? And this one girl, Rebecca says, yes, I'll do it. And so this woman says like, you're the one, you're the one that God has chosen for Isaac. And so Isaac, she brings Rebecca back, meets Isaac, they get married. We can jump forward to Isaac and Rebekah's uh, son, Jacob, there in Genesis 29, just four chapters later, where does Jacob go to meet a wife? The well. He goes to the well, meets Rachel there. Then you can jump up to Exodus chapter two. Moses has left Egypt and he is there in the land of Midian, goes to the well, meets a woman named Zipporah and marries her. And now Jesus is at the well. He's at the well, he meets this woman and the disciples come back and they're like, why in the world are you talking to a woman? This is not what you need to be doing. Now we know from hindsight, we know the story. We know that Jesus wasn't looking for a wife. We understand that. But the disciples kind of come into this story and they don't fully understand what all is going on. So I wanna kind of look a little bit deeper in the story and we're gonna kind of jump around a little bit because there's, like I said, there's a lot of scripture. So let's look at verse 27. We'll read it again down to verse 30. So just as the disciples arrived, they were amazed. He was talking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Verse 28, then the woman left her water jar, went to town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. 
Now let's jump down. There's this conversation that takes place between uh, the disciples, between Jesus. We're going to jump. We're going to skip that because that's a whole, like I could do five or six sermons on this passage. I promise y'all. Uh, so we're going to we're going to skip that or I'll preach a sermon on it. So let's jump down to verse uh, 39. Now, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of what the woman had said when she testified. He told me everything I did. So the Samaritans came to him. They asked him to stay with them. He stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. They told the, and they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the savior of the world. So there's, there's a lot kind of to unpack in these verses. But verse 29 is, is really where I want to kind of have us to focus today. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, If you want to have the lowest attended church event ever, I can tell you what to do. You could say tonight at five o'clock, we'll have a sign-up sheet out in the foyer and you can sign up and there's going to be a man here and he's going to tell you everything that you ever did. I don't know about y'all, but that sounds terrible. I mean, think about it. To have someone tell you everything you ever did everything you ever did. And this woman has this encounter with Christ and she has this encounter with Christ and she walks away, not in the fear that I think most of us would have. Okay, I, I would have it. She doesn't walk away in the fear of him saying, let me tell you, you, did, you have done some bad stuff. This is not good. But she walks away in the power and the knowledge of knowing that she has been face to face with God. And she walks away not in the fear and the trembling, not in the disgust that I, that I would have, but she walks away rejoicing and saying, he told me everything I've done. Surely this is the Messiah. Can this be the Messiah? And this encounter with God completely changes her life. And for me this week, as I kept thinking about it, I kept coming back to where we were last week. If you remember in chapter three last week, verse 17, right after, right after John three sixteen, what's the very next verse? For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And the people, the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed but anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. And, and this woman meets him. 
She meets Jesus and, and she walks away in the light. Walks away knowing that what she has done has come into an encounter with God. And, and so my question that I've been kind of mulling over this week is, what is it? Or what, what was it about Jesus? That when she was confronted with everything that she had done, she moved to love and not anger. What, what was it about that encounter where it changed her life, where it was something in her life, where it wasn't about the anger? Because that's, I mean, guys, that, that's a tough thing to, to think through. But she had this encounter with God and she walked away in love. What, what was it about Jesus that day that completely changed what she would say? Completely changed her life. Come see a man who told me everything I have ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah? If, if you look, the little cards that were in your bulletin. I've got the, uh, the passage there, and then I've got some, some things for you to fill in. The first line there says, come and see a man who, blank. Guys, what I've been thinking about this week is that if we really begin to understand what God has done for us, then this story is a story of witness. This story is a story of testimony. This story is a story of relationship. And the woman says to them, come see the man who. And my question for you this morning is, come see the man who what? What, what has Christ done in your life where you would finish the sentence? What is it that Christ has done in your life? Come see the man who gives me hope. Come see the man who has overcome the evil in my life. Come and see the man who set me free from my past. Come see the man who took away my fear. Come see the man who was near me and was with me on my darkest days. Come see the man who freed me from addiction. Come see the man who brought me face to face with my sin and loved me anyway. How, how would you finish the sentence? Come see the man. What, what has Christ done for you? What has Christ done that, that, that you want to invite other people into? This is our story. This is your story. You see, all around the edges of this story are the story of relationship. Think about it. So in this story, we can go back, and I've already gone back through it. We can go back to Genesis and what happens in Genesis. In Genesis, we have Isaac and Rachel. We have Jacob and Rachel, or Isaac and, what was Isaac's wife's name? See, now y'all got me messed up. See, I gotta go back to my, Isaac and Rebecca, yeah, there we go. Isaac and Rebecca, see, even I forget them sometimes. Jacob and Rachel, Moses and Zipporah, you're not gonna get that one messed up. But each one of these stories is a story of what? It's a story of relationship. So we can go from Genesis 24 to Genesis 29 to Exodus 2 to John 4. 
And it's all a story of God and relationship. So we get to John's gospel and don't miss what John is doing in his gospel. So what is the very first miracle or sign that we talked about a few weeks ago in John's gospel? Y'all remember? Water to wine. I'm sure y'all, you all knew that. Where did that take place? Come on. In a wedding. So we have Genesis 20, uh, 24, Genesis 29, Exodus 2. It's all about meeting your spouse. John 4, Jesus shows up and meets a woman at a well. It's about a relationship. And John is telling us this relationship that God is inviting you into is the most intimate relationship of your life. It is the most intimate relationship of your life. What happened, the passage that John read for us earlier in the, in the service, we could go back to John chapter three. Remember John the Baptist is there and he's been baptizing people. And it says in verse 27, John responded, no one can receive anything unless it has been given from him to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify what I said. I'm not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. Verse 29, he who has the bride is the groom. What, what language are we using? Wedding. This is relationship. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens to him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, I must decrease. What is John telling us? I'm, I'm the best man at the wedding. And the wedding, this relationship that God is calling you into is a relationship, the deepest relationship of your life. And Jesus is calling you into that relationship. And the woman says, come see a man. Come see a man who, who what? Come see this man. The second thing you'll see on the card is what I believe this story is telling us is this is a story that says to us, it's time to go out. It's time to tell your story. It's time to follow the woman. But I think sometimes we, we kind of push that to the side. We, don't, we get uncomfortable when the pastor talks about evangelism because we're not comfortable sharing our faith. I get that. I'm not asking you to share your faith. I'm asking you to finish a sentence. Come see the man who. Come see the man who set me free. Come see the man who changed my life. The good news of the gospel is the good news of what God has done in your life. And so as we are headed towards Easter and as we have wrapped up Advent, I thought one of the ways that we could kind of begin praying and begin thinking is, is to list five people with whom you would like to see someone share. Now, I didn't put you. Someone share the good news before Easter. Now, I'll be honest, guys. When I decided to do this this week, I couldn't come up with five. I was like, oh, here's one. But as this week has gone, the Holy Spirit has continued to put people on this list for me. And some of you might look at that list right now and you're like, Pastor, I don't even know, I don't know five people. You do know five people. I don't, I don't know who to even write down. Don't, don't write them down right now. 
My hope and my prayer is, is that you take this home with you and you begin to pray that prayer of God. It's not who do I want to share or want to make sure the gospel is shared with. Who do you want? Who do you want on this list? Who do you want for me to be able to have that opportunity? Not to tell them, not to show up and say, let me tell you, here's the five things you need to know about Jesus. That's not what we're saying. Let me tell you about a man who, who changed my life. Who even when the world seems that it's completely against me, I know is for me. Let me tell you about the man who gives me hope even when things don't make sense. Let me tell you about the man. Come and see the man. And then lastly on that list, I have two other questions or two other statements. Chapter four, verse 10, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Now, I have a little, I need, who's, who's gonna, James, will you come help me? I'm trying to find somebody that isn't gonna be embarrassed. All right, here we go. Anybody know what a water, this, this is a siphon for, a, uh, for Jake's little aquarium, if y'all didn't know that. So James, would you hold this and hold this? All right. Anybody know what a water level is? Anybody, Danny, you probably know what a water level is. So what a water level is, is back before we had lasers, all right, if you were gonna build something and you say, hey, I'm gonna build a deck off the back of my house. All right, but my deck is up here. And then if you go off the back of my house, it's kind of down here, right? And so how in the world am I gonna find where is level from here to here? Well, nowadays we go to Lowe's and you buy a laser and a laser like shoots a line, okay, it's pretty cool. But that's not the, that we haven't always had lasers. Before then, we've always had water. And so there's a tool called a water level. And this is the way I put some red dye in this. So this, we don't need to spill this, James, because it's um, got food coloring in it. Okay, let's let this water run down. We gotta get the bubbles out too. It's, it's yeah, it's made so it, because it's an aquarium thing. Come on. See, this worked at home really well. I promise. I tested it the other day. Come on, why is it? Okay, y'all don't want to watch me click. Okay, let's just get, okay, let's try. Okay, see now, ooh, we need to be higher. Ah, uh, there we go, okay. Now it's making funny noise. Okay, so here we have this water, all right? From here to here, if you give it a second, this is always going to be level. So if I lower this, this water is eventually going to push up and change. See that, see how that works? So I go over here, see it works better this direction. And see, this is always going to be level. This is called a water level. Now, why does that, thank you, James. Hey, would you yeah, go figure out how to get rid of that water and we don't spill it? All right, thank you. All right, so why does that work? Listen, this is important. Why does that work? Well, gravity, obviously. But, but hear me, this is, this is big. The reason it works is not just gravity, because there's something, we all have, there's always gravity. This cross sits here because of gravity. But water, 
Water, as we know, if you've ever been a homeowner or you've ever been a plumber, water seeks the lowest point, doesn't it? So water has a different property. It's not just the gravity that helps it do that. It helps it equalize. But water is always seeking the lowest point. And guys, what what has just amazed me with this passage this week is the living water is always seeking the lowest point. The living water is always seeking the lowest point of your life. For this lady, the lowest point of her life, well, it might have been these five marriages. And the living water is looking for the lowest point of your life to speak into that lowest point and to bring life to the lowest point of your life. The problem is for so many of us, we live in a world and we live in a thing where we think I can block off the lowest points of my life, the the deepest, darkest recesses of my life. I can keep other people from that and I can just make sure that nobody knows about it and nobody has to know all the dark and the hard things that I've been through. And if I just keep people out of it, I don't have to deal with it. The problem is when we do that, we don't allow the living water to bring life there. And the water is desperately seeking to be at the lowest point in your life. And we have a God who says, I don't want to just come and expose the lowest point of your life. I want to bring life to the lowest point of your life. Whatever it is you think you're hiding from me, whatever it is you think nobody knows about, whatever that lowest point is, are you going to let the living water come to that place? to the lowest point. Guys, this morning, that's what I hope we walk away with is that we ask Jesus for a drink of living water and it's a water that reaches the lowest point, the recesses of your life. And then lastly, kind of tied in with that question or that statement, there's a second piece. That we also ask Jesus, who is the living water, that that living water might spill over into the world around you. One of the incredible pieces of this story isn't just that the living water seeped into her life. The incredible piece of the story is, is that when it seeped into her life, she couldn't help but to go out and tell other people about it. And she went out and said, let me tell you my story. I met a man, he changed everything for me. I want to introduce you to that man. I want you to know him. I want you to also have the freedom that I have. And that living water didn't just get to the lowest points in her life. That living water spilled out into everyone around her. And the story ends with the people saying, you know what? It's it's not just me. Or it's not just you that was changed. It's, It's me that was changed too. Look at the very last verse. It's not just me, or it's not just you that was changed. My life was changed. Now we can proclaim, surely this is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. This morning as we close, John and Sharon and Barry are going to come and we're going to sing together. But as we have been closing, what we have been closing with is kind of a a three-part prayer. 
that some of you might say, you know, Pastor, I, I have never prayed that, that prayer to accept Christ. And I need the opportunity to pray with someone and to make this faith not just something that I hear about, but something that's my own. And if that's you, Pastor James would love to meet with you and to pray with you over here. For I know some of you also uh, might feel a need uh, or desire to be anointed for healing. I would love to pray with you right here at this altar. But I know there might be some as well that need to ask for that drink of living water. That you've cut off those lowest points, you've cut off those recesses of your life, and you've cut off other people from that. But worse is you think you've cut God off from that. But we serve a God of living water, a God who goes down to the darkest places, to the lowest points of our lives and says, I don't want the, that to be a place of pain and hurt for you anymore. I want it to be a place of life, of life. And it's not just life so that we're healed, but it's life so that other people around us see that life. And this morning as we sing, I just want to invite you, if you want to come and find a place to pray and just say, God, I need to give you those places, those dark places in my life. I need to give them to you. That you come and find that place to kneel and say, God, it's yours. God, you can have it. Bring that living water into the darkest places, the lowest places of my life. Let us come as we sing.